Hello everyone and welcome to Cashflow Unscripted. This is your host Ankur Bhagiria and we are back with a new episode in our podcast series. Today we have a very special guest. It is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast Mr. Subhash Chandra Garg. As a lot of you might be aware, Mr. Garg is a 1983 batch IAS officer from the Rajasthan cadre. He has held multiple senior positions at state, national and international level. He of course has served as an economic affairs secretary and the finance secretary of India and he's also served as an executive director in the World Bank. And we're delighted to have Mr. Garg as a mentor and advisor to Cashflow. I would also like to introduce my colleague and co-founder at Cashflow, Dushant Agarwal. Dushant today will be talking to Mr. Garg on topics relating to economic policy, the recently announced stimulus package by the government and the role of government and financial institutions in the economic recovery from this covid-19 pandemic a very interesting uh, topic and i'm uh, i'm certain there'd be some fantastic insights that uh, come out of this discussion over to you dushant thank you ankur it's great to be here hello listeners we have with us today mr subhash garg welcome mr garg thanks a lot for taking out time to be part of cashflow unscripted Thank you, Dushyant. Let me first quickly start by asking you the question, which is potentially the most debated one right now: the lockdown which our country has implemented. Is it too harsh? Is the government really going overboard here? And will the potential repercussions from a weaker economy as a result of this lockdown would actually be much more harmful than the lockdown itself? So, Dushyant, the uh... lockdown which india chose to go for uh, has been assessed globally as one of the most stringent uh, lockdown anywhere in the world there are different patterns uh, which has been used uh, but india chose to go for the most severe form of it uh, the risk of corona virus is very serious it's a highly contagious one which spreads not only in symptomatic conditions but also asymptomatically and therefore the policy makers decided that let us go for the ultimate solution the brahmastra so to say uh, make everyone sort of stay in their homes not come into contact with uh, each other and this was hoped that with this the chain of uh, transmission of uh, virus would be sort of completely stopped and therefore a short term solution which may be the harshest was considered as something which was more um, advisable than go for other solutions on the other extreme as you know is the swedish approach where uh, you don't lock down anything you virtually permit everything to go on you think that this is the way to develop uh, immunity for humans that herd immunity kind of thing and that uh, is the other uh, other approach but we and then there are whole lot of approaches in between so we did go for a, a very harsh uh, choice what this meant was that uh, this had very deep humanitarian as well as economic consequences you saw um, all over the country millions of um, people were rendered jobless they got trapped wherever they were and this whole migrant issue um, also came up people tried to go on food or otherwise they got deprived of food and many other uh, things in their life so this was a humanitarian um, uh, sort of consequence of that for economy also this uh, had very massive implications i um, said i have said in number of forums that something close to 70% of the economy got shuttered all across the uh, economic production chain of goods and services uh, other than the farm and the essential goods and the health sector these were three main Uh, areas which were in a way exempted from the uh, economic lockdown but all others whether it is mining construction manufacturing 
transportation, travel, services, uh, all of those were uh, deeply affected. There, some of these services could be transacted by sitting at home. So some of the e-commerce companies were essential, some of the banks and others uh, did uh, try to keep up stock exchanges operated um, and uh, but in value terms something close to 70% of the economy remained shuttered for about 40 days couple of uh, days back the uh, the relaxation started being provided we now have zoning concept applied over the country uh, some things are permitted in uh, green zones the orange zones uh, some nothing is permitted in containment zones a lot of restrictions are there on red zones but the result is the net result is that something close to 50 percent of the economy is still closed this has massive consequences for um, the economy um, in my judgment uh, india would have lost about 10 percent of the annual output in last 40 uh, 45 days there are about uh, 10 crore people, more than 10 crore people who have been rendered unemployed. There are about seven to seven and a half crore businesses, mostly the small um, and the medium businesses, the micro businesses being the predominantly among them. They're all closed. They are not able to produce goods and services. They don't generate. So I think we have a massive economic crisis. Um, it's very unlikely that India will grow uh, next year. In fact, it's more likely that it might contract by three to five percent. So one of the most stringent um, lockdown anywhere in the world with uh, its consequences on economy, which are really harsh. Uh, we might have succeeded in delaying or preventing to some extent the sort of um, uh, spread of virus though the way it's now spreading for last seven to ten days it indicates that possibly it was more of a delay rather than avoidance but that is something which we um, can always debate but what is not uh, sort of debatable what is not disputable is the serious consequences to the economy to the labor to the businesses Correct, correct. Absolutely. And I think as you very rightly put, the amount of impact that this has had on the economy has been massive, right? Um, and the government bases their think tank and bases their policy, took the decision that this lockdown was needed. But what is also going to be supremely critical now is the role of the government, you know, that it's going to play in bringing this economy back to life. Um, now, the government initially announced a package and then followed it up with a package of about 20 lakh crore rupees, which seems to be a pretty large one on the face of it. Um, but would love to have your thoughts on this. The government did announce a very large package, which aggregated to something like 21 lakh crore. The number indeed looks very, very large. It comprised of mostly uh, the credit and the liquidity. Over 8 lakh crores was assigned to the RBI liquidity measures. There are several credit measures. MSME is to be given 3 lakh crores of loans additionally, 20% of the normal limits and several others. There are some liquidity measures like clearance of power sector bills and things like that. The fiscal component, which is the grant and uh, the assistance from the government to the businesses and to the uh, people, that component is very small. Um, different people have tried to aggregate that, in my judgment. Inclusive of even that 27th March package, this component of the fiscal transfers is only about 0.7% uh, of GDP, uh, roughly about 1.6, 1.5 lakh crores. Uh, that is where we are as far as the package is concerned. Uh, in terms of helping to the economy, uh, 
uh, we will have to see what was the issue, what was the problem we were trying to address. The principal problem was that the uh, lockdown affected a uh, lot of businesses. Um, it affected a lot of workers. More than 10 crore workers lost their jobs. Um, about 10% of GDP is lost in the one and a half months time. The expectation and the need was that can you provide some support to the businesses, especially the MSMEs, and they're very large amount. As I said, there's very large numbers, seven uh, crores of that. Uh, they needed to be provided some support. Likewise, these 10 crore workers required some wages support and other things. Unfortunately, none of them really uh, form part of the package which has been announced. So I don't think uh, this would help the economy in a bigger way. The other components which uh, like creating a fund for agri-infrastructure of a lakh crore uh, or um, uh, measures like providing uh, funds for the uh, uh, micro food parks and things like that. These are a um, little long term measures and uh, the track record of the execution of the, these schemes are not very uh, great to write home about. Um, another component of the package which was expected to do uh, uh, contribute for the economy was the reform package. There are some good elements which have come in the reform package. For example, this uh, privatization of public sector entities or the uh, opening up of the uh, or the abolition or dilution of the uh, Essential Commodities Act. These are some of the uh, uh, measures which are likely to help the economy, but that would require the uh, the government to actually implement them. Uh, for example, uh, the, uh, the, the Essential Commodities Act, this uh, uh, has been said that except some, my, uh, some uh, exceptional situation where controls could be exercised, the control uh, will not be exercised and the, uh, the Essential Commodities Act will be diluted. But that is what is the precisely the problem. Whenever onions uh, prices rise, the government tend to uh, 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 resort to the ban on exports and things like that. If that is the kind of exceptional situation, uh, then it doesn't make any change. It means the same thing continues. Likewise, for the uh, public sector, uh, if in the struggle to define what is the uh, strategic for which the government says that it will retain up to four units uh, or four entities as part of the public sector and you end up uh, defining or including most of the entities into um, the uh, into these strategic entities then uh, there wouldn't be any real uh, privatization is power uh, a strategic sector is petroleum products a strategic sector or for that matter uh, even power financing and things like that are a strategic entities. By the way, uh, uh, the banks apparently are not part of this PSB's privatization program. If that remains so, most of the financial sector uh, uh, remains under the control of the government. So. Uh, I see potential for uh, reforms working for the betterment of the Indian economy, but those reforms would have to be implemented in its true uh, uh, spirit and content. You can't uh, achieve the reform, uh, the, the objective of reforming the economy or giving a boost to the economy by only doing a token reform. So I think we will uh, wait for that. Uh, to see how things uh, come out. On the whole, to my mind, the uh, package has not been uh, able to generate that kind of enthusiasm and that kind of support which the economy needed. Maybe uh, the government would realize this sooner and bring out a more appropriate kind of package.
Understood. Uh, you make some very interesting points there. Um, I guess it will still be a little more of wait and watch on this front as to what the government comes back with. What is also going to be interesting and would be good to understand from you is that one aspect, of course, is just about opening of the factories and the workplace so that people are able to work again and the production can start again. But there is also going to be a severe liquidity crunch in the entire supply chain uh, because, as we've seen, some of the larger companies have you know, actually already stopped making payments to their vendors. And going forward, I think once situation starts to ease down, even then, I expect the buyers would essentially want longer credit period from their suppliers, while the suppliers would actually be looking to cut down those credit periods. So in this kind of scenario, where liquidity is going to be very scarce, banks, I'm guessing, will take much more conservative approach in terms of putting money into the ecosystem. How do you see this scenario being played out in the next 12 months and you know what potentially can the government and regulator and the bank really do to help ease this out? So the, the, um, whenever, when you sort of have such a massive disruption uh, in the uh, economic uh, operation, so to say, uh, it changes many things. It brings out uh, uh, risk averseness in the people very much. It makes uh, people distrust others. The credit kind of freezes takes place. So this is a, a very natural reaction. The self-preservation instincts go up. People would try to protect themselves first uh, rather than taking care of the uh, the person on the other side, uh, they might be, when you become a little desperate, they might be um, resort to sharper practices to uh, somehow uh, uh, get the bargain in your favor than others. So this is, uh, this emanates from that kind of mindset. Now to bring it into the um, uh, more specific terms, into the uh, situation of this liquidity and the uh, sort of uh, flow of money uh, payments into the system, let us look at the uh, uh, the whole thing from different uh, uh, levels, so to say. One level is what is uh, described as the systemic liquidity in, in the country. That liquidity is measured by how much uh, the banks in total have in excess or in deficit of what the demand for cash or the reserves they, 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 they see. Uh, what has happened in last 40-45 days that the, the banks uh, are actually sitting over much more liquidity than they normally have. This has happened partly because the Reserve Bank tried to inject liquidity with them. So a lot of operations, this TLTRO, CRR cut and other things happened, which place some more cash and liquidity in the hands of the banks. Then the other thing, uh, which partly I hinted uh, earlier, uh, when people like you and me, uh, who have protected salary income, so to say, but are not able to spend um, uh, on discretionary items, they tend to increase their deposits with banks. So the deposits in the banks are going up. They have more cash, whereas the banks, and which I'll, I'll come to it in a little while, banks don't disburse much. The result is that you have a much larger liquidity in the banking system. There are about eight and a half lakh crore of liquidity which the banks have parked with the Reserve Bank. It is unprecedented. This kind of liquidity was not seen even in the demonetization days. There is a massive amount of the money, the cash, the liquidity which the banks have. And since they don't need it, they are putting it with the central bank to earn 3.75%, they would be willing to even park it at 2% in my judgment. So that is the way the system liquidity is in, in enormous excess. Now the next level of liquidity comes for the relations between the banks 
and the uh, the businesses the banks lend to the businesses they have cash credit loans and other kind of accounts they discount their bill they pay for it um, etc they collect payments from them and all what has happened is that uh, businesses are businesses are shuttered um, 70% earlier 50% now and therefore since they're not producing and they can't produce they don't need uh, the money to or the working capital to produce they don't want to take money to pay their workers because that is a straight loss to them despite whatever advice from the government and all uh, i am quite certain that lot of these 10 crore or 12 crore workers who are out of the job they wouldn't be paid and therefore in all the businesses are on two they are on or they, they 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 take two kinds of decisions one don't borrow don't take out from your liquid uh, credit lines and secondly which you also hinted earlier that preserve the cash so some people who have taken the credit from the banks have also not drawn they have just kept it as a potentially usable lines and the businesses which have received payments are keeping it with the with them the businesses which are to make payments they are not making payments so the result of this entire exercise of this behavior and this mindset is that you get to a situation where the credit dispersal in the economy also goes down the cash becomes somewhat of a king and and businesses tend to hold it and the final level of liquidity is with the uh, individuals the people you saw um, the currency drawl in the economy has gone up we recently crossed 25 lakh crores of currency in the uh, uh, in the system with the people this is about 8 lakh crores more than what it was at the demonetization time so we have practically come back to the same level and now this is in relation to gdp that we have today perhaps higher uh, uh, cash to gdp ratio or the currency to gdp ratio than it was in the pre demonetization days people are holding on to the cash they need it in case required um, but it is its dispersion or the dispersal is very problematic uh the the labor which i spoke the 10 to 12 crores has withdrawn probably whatever they could withdraw from their bank accounts or from their jandhan accounts or wherever they could uh, and they have also borrowed but they are running out of cash now so the tragedies which you saw uh, happening on roads and the uh, in the rail um, uh, last day uh, for yesterday is all the manifestation of people running out of cash they are uh, they want to hold cash but they are, they don't have so a segment of the uh, people and this is the third level are we discuss at the system level the banks and the businesses level and the people's level they have larger cash than the normal 25 lakh crores but it is dispersed or it is uh, sort of distributed unevenly it's much more with the what one can call haves then what it is with the have nots or the large amount of people uh, 50% of the families of the country probably is uh, very bereft and very short of cash so i think that is the way the liquidity situation is there it's unlikely to uh, get normalized soon and perhaps there is no way in which the reserve bank or the banks or the government can do it unless the economy comes back on um, rail it restarts people assume the normal uh, relationship they assume that they will receive their incomes the businesses assume that they can uh, they will get their turnover they will get their profits and the incomes so unless that sense of normalcy is registered in the people's mind i think the liquidity situation would probably work in these three different ways as i try to describe to you you know it's an interesting uh, dichotomy so as to say which is at play right at 
some level you would expect that because of the covid and because people you know wanting to maintain social distancing uh, there would actually be potentially a higher adoption of um, you know sort of digital sources of money uh, but on the other hand as you rightly said right what we are really seeing is people withdrawing money and you know um uh, you know maybe maybe just wanting to keep it with themselves you know so that they have it available for ready spending um which is which is you know as you mentioned happening the the other interesting point for me to take away you know i think from this uh, you know specific um, sort of um, you know conversation was uh, you know the the amount of liquidity that's really parked with rbi by the banks right um, i mean this is the time when you really need them to sort of go out and you know start making funds available for um, you know for all the um, you know all the companies out there right and especially the uh, msme sector uh, there have been a lot of discussions and a lot of announcements by the government and talk around you know helping the msmes of the country um but but it's i i, I would suspect that it's actually banks who would have to come out and you know start lending to them while as you rightly said what has happened is that they've actually become more risk averse right and they're keeping money um you know with the rbi do you think there can be you know like a potential solution uh, you know which the government should like can push to really incentivize the bank to you know lend more to the msmes and make that liquidity problem sort of um, you know like solve for it a little bit see we, we we have to understand the mindset and the situation of the in which the banks are currently we have had enormous amount of non performing assets in the banking system we had one of the highest non performing assets in the in the world we also have had lot of frauds into the banking system our fraud to lending ratio fraud to credit ratio of 2% is the highest in the world so the banks over last many years maybe because of the inappropriate lending or phone banking and many other things which people have described the fact remains that the banks lent inappropriately many of their loans turned non performing and they are sitting on large non performing and these uh, cases in the in the fraud and if you zero in on uh, the uh, different segments of the credit there are essentially uh, let me put it three segments of the credit in uh, which the banks banks have made one is to the farmers uh, the second one is to the business and industry and the services that is the second segment and the third is the retail for the for the construction of house or for automobiles and whatever in this uh, the the non performing loans and the frauds are concentrated in the middle the industry businesses and the services we have bank credit of something close to about 100 lakh crores in this uh, in the country uh, something close to 60 or 55 lakh crores of credit is towards businesses the industry and um, the 10 lakh crores of uh, uh, of non performing loans are all in this segment so if you were to work out the ratio of non performing and the loans in fraud for the businesses is very high it's 20% or so now you bring to the you come to the current situation in the current situation when the businesses are shuttered when they have lost their um, uh, revenues when they have lost their turnover their profitability is is going to going for a toss their credit is going to become much more, much worse than what it was earlier so you had a very vulnerable very fragile credit to the businesses and you have that fragile to to have become further uh, uh, further weaker so to say so i don't uh, think you can incentivize the banks to lend to in such situation the reserve bank decided that you provide the moratorium banks are happy to provide moratorium because that will keep the facade on that their um, their assets are 
no more becoming non performing you shift it uh, uh, that non performing even to a later one uh, so i don't think the 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 banks on their own would go for increasing lending they might in fact become more withdrawn they might not they might even raise questions in disbursing the existing lines of credit and that is where uh, the situation in the normal case looks like going but uh, you addressed what the government can do to incentivize that is that was your question and this relates to what uh, the banks have also been coming out and they are asking the government to stand a guarantee that if we provide additional loans and that loan does not get repaid the government will make good right this is this is very easy kind of lending in its in its theoretical construct that if you have no risk of getting the repayments received or the loans collected then you don't mind you can lend because somebody else will pay for it right so in 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 this kind of construct they have proposed this now for the government to uh, take a decision about extending the the guarantees uh, mind you government also is run by the civil servants and the officers and the ministers they also would know that if these loans are not repaid and the government is required to pay 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 for the losses number one it will cause a sort of a deficit to rise or the government finances to disturb and second it would also lead to a lot of people being questioned that why did you agree to extend a guarantee to something some such loan you could have seen it earlier etc etc that is why the government is always risk averse in extending guarantees one scheme was brought by the government last year when they for the nbfcs came out with this scheme that all right you extend the uh, to the msme the credit and we will give you a first loss or we will have a first we will bear first loss of 10% or something so they agreed to bear 10% of the loss uh, and the 90% remains with the banking system the result was that that facility was also not used so if you come up with a guarantee program where you are guarding yourself against the potential risk or you are reducing your share the banker will not agree if you and if you come up with a very liberal guarantee kind of program the system will not agree to extend because it will fall back to you on you later on so i don't see a guarantee based kind of solution to be also of much help or much likelihood chances are we will muddle uh, along very uh, uh, unlikely that the banks will expand credit the businesses would be uh, uh, sort of uh, driven to some more uh, of the desperation by the way uh, you you should be aware that 80% of the credit need for the msmes are actually met by the informal sector even today so um, it's a very difficult situation i must say uh, everybody has to not only watch the interest of the economy but also of the people uh, who who are the instruments of disbursement etc and this conflict between watching the larger interest of the economy and also safeguarding your own personal safety etc chances are uh, that in this people tend to be more risk averse and more uh, sort of uh, conservative so i would hope i would like the solutions to be working and uh, to work uh, for for the benefit of the economy but i don't see these kind of solutions actually um, giving much uh, of the credit offtake or much of the liquidity to to the businesses understood understood yeah very very well put i would say there a lot of opposing forces in play uh, from each side um, you know and sort of trying to balance all of them sometimes becomes uh, supremely difficult um fair 
Uh, shifting gears a little bit, um, you know, I think one another interesting uh, or sort of potential repercussion that is happening because of COVID is that uh, people are re-looking at how their global supply chains are working, right? And there has definitely been a lot of negative impact specifically on China uh, with countries looking to move out the manufacturing from China, all right? Um, how do you uh, how do you see that scenario playing out? Is it more of just a short-term phenomena which potentially will fizzle out or do you think it actually will translate into a more long-term initiative and then can potentially India you know be one of the beneficiaries of this so there is a lot of talk uh, about uh, Chinese uh, production system there is a lot of discomfort in the world uh, about dealing with China though uh, so far thanks to the emergent kind of health-related things. A lot of people have placed orders more with China. India has also placed. So it has not shifted. China has also restarted much of its economy. So it's one economy which is um, doing production. Uh, the estimates are that the China might in 2020 also see a positive growth. But assuming uh, that this intent or this discomfort in the people uh, uh, in the world is something which will translate into real action, which means transfer uh, of production system from China. Incidentally, uh, the trade war was going on between America and China for quite some time. In the trade war, also Americans tried to shift their uh, production or, or their import. Let, let us put it this way, that their import, they, they tried to divert away from China. And Americans were very serious about it. There is a study which I saw, which uh, brings out that uh, in 2019 uh, or so, about 6% of the American import was shifted from China to other countries. They used to import about 63% of the manufactured goods from China and this was reduced to something like 55 or 56%. So about 6 odd percent shift actually took place. And much of that went to countries like Vietnam, Bangladesh, Indonesia and other uh, other South Asian countries. India hardly got uh, anything out of that. That is relevant uh, when we consider how if this kind of shift, further shift takes place, whether we can uh, capitalize. It's an opportunity which we must uh, try to get. And um, uh, there is a lot of uh, sort of confidence in the democracy of India in the people, the contract system, and otherwise it's... Uh, so the world would love to get the, um, the, the production system or manufacturing shifted from China to India. Uh, I understand a lot of Americans are talking to Indian companies and Indian policymakers that they would be interested to shift. The crucial question to my mind would be that uh, can this shift take place and how can this shift take place or is it likely to take place? Uh, I think there are three uh, major actions which we will need to take in case we want to see this metalize. One is we, we will have to address the question of the uh, non-competitiveness of the industry in India. We have done a lot of self-goals. We have made our industry non-competitive. Uh, we charge very high for power. We Our lands for industry are costliest in the world. We have sort of banking credit which comes at so high of rate than anywhere in the world. So we have several uh, sort of uh, non-competitive element uh, or, or the higher cost and things like that, we uh, we don't allow the labor uh, um, mobility or 
labor to be employed in in such manner so as a result we have lot of uh, non competitiveness so we will have to address that if we don't address i don't see we can compete example may be very simple on textile you can't compete with bangladesh on machinery etc now you can't compete with vietnam and others uh, japan and germany and so things uh, are unlikely to get india's way unless we enter the uh, we address the issue of non competitiveness that is one thing second we uh, we will have to address the question of confidence in ourselves uh, if you put so much of duties on intermediates and other things if you want to put so much of barriers for from for, for on investments coming from recently there was a decision to sort of scrutinize every chinese investment a lot of chinese investment coming in our startup system uh, that startup system is the competition or competitive edge so um, uh, all these kind of high tariff regimes uh, the the barriers on investment and things like are are unlikely to make us sort of bring up or create businesses which are globally uh, sort of competitive so that is the second issue we will have to address become part of the uh, global value chain um, have the tariffs which are normal allow investments to take place bring up uh, 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 some of these bargains or the negotiations with rcep and other things so i think that is the second thing and third thing finally i think which is very important we have to get um, uh, the the uh, the uh, the government out of the industry there is so much of uh, uh, governmental enterprises power sector is making huge amount of losses uh, because of the government ownership you have mtnl bsnl you have uh, air india you have so many uh, and they consume so much of resources of the country uh, we put in 3 lakh crores of capital in banks the the public sector banks in last 2 or 3 years we put another uh, 1 lakh crores of capital in the bsnl and the air india and all 4 lakh crore of capital has been put into these loss making poor uh, competitive government enterprises this creates problems for the the private sector industry uh, as the 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 cost of many of these licenses and other things are much different for the government enterprises than others so i think time has come for us to move away from the uh, the governmental enterprises to private enterprises uh, to make us more competitive i think if that happens these three things happen we can probably get uh, the industry shift to india if these things don't happen i am afraid uh, we will have lot of talk but probably much less of the real shift taking place in india understood understood and um you know of course everybody rightly put there are a lot of changes which are needed um you know in the ecosystem as a whole um and you know i suspect that there will like there will also be a lot of backlash once these changes start to happen um you know i think recently uh, uttar pradesh announced some relaxation in labor laws uh, and already uh, you know the jury is out whether those actually were you know sort of laws were archaic and hence they needed to be trimmed down and you know sort of new laws need to come up or is it really exploitation of laborers which is going to happen because of these uh, you know um, sort of laws being taken back um, so i guess you know in the coming months we will potentially see a lot of these changes as well you know and and which in itself it will i guess be fraught with you know a lot of debate see you don't bring such kind of reforms uh, in turbulent times like this the labor reforms we have been discussing for many years you would have probably heard that for last 2 years the government is also trying to consolidate the labor laws into four different codes 
right and the entire exercise was being done and no reform was actually built into it so we have this code one of one of of that has even been par- passed by the parliament has been assented by the president and the rest are in different stages of that so the reforms were needed at a time when the reforms were uh, could have been planned those were the days today uh, in this turbulent uh, situation if you try to do this kind of reform it is going to invite much more backlash incidentally just to uh, put it into a context we have something close to 100 crore of employable people the workforce we have 40 crore uh, people who are actually working or who are working before the uh, this economic lockdown started right of that only about 1.25 crore mark my word only about 1.25% of the total workforce in the country works in this organized industry with to which these labor laws are applicable and these labor laws are applicable to large industry bigger industry where in any case much of the investment is in technology for substituting the labor these industries wouldn't employ anyone if they can employ a machine for that right and therefore there is a very small participation of labor and the labor there is much much better off they are in fact the cream of labor uh, uh, into the system they don't need these labor law protections which have been provided for and therefore in a normal time if you do away with this kind of protections there is no harm no labor uh, would actually lose what you need to do is to take care of the remaining labor that's why in one of the blogs which i recently wrote i have argued very uh, uh, sort of earnestly then let us start documenting let us start listing our smes where bulk of these people are working let us get a database of workers let us see how and what kind of help and the protection we can provide for them not the uh, this entrenched labor uh, which is there in this minuscule and there are only about 240000 such factories and the establishment in the country where is 1.25 crore people are employed this is a minuscule but they grab the attention they have all the debate and everybody uh, talks about them this is not a major area by a, by suspending these laws you are not going to get these kind of factories built there you need to do a little more how does this smes uh, come into operation in your state and all so i don't see much advantage coming out of this decision to suspend and what is the suspension you suspend for some time but the anybody who uh, who uh, is to set up knows that after some time this will come do you think that this is man would be uh, uh, sort of brave enough to put up a factory with large investment on on a assurance which is only a suspension for some time so i don't think these kind of uh, actions are needed for this time or they will work i understood i understood it's very interesting i think you know um, i think it's really a wait and watch kind of a situation um you know to see how some of these policies evolve you know and how does business really react to it um i i think this is the last point uh, you know where where it would be good to have your perspectives on you know we have a lot of listeners um who are business leaders you know um of large corporates a lot of uh, proprietors also running msme organizations uh, as part of our listener base uh, you know what would what would your advice be uh, you know to them uh, sort of uh, you know how to best navigate uh, the next 12 months or so see i i think one first thing which we should uh, uh, take into account uh, is that how would this post corona virus world would be with or without corona uh, we, they, there is one possibility that corona might uh, disappear or might get a vaccine for this but lot of people don't believe in that um, 
more people believe that this would stay on uh, like other coronavirus five of that which came before it uh, and this the humanity would learn to live with it uh, that is a more predominant more acceptable view so let us assume that we would have a world or a world which would have some corona risk sort of hiding around or coming in the midst of us so that world would be would have to be different than what this the world so far has been i i would point two or three major changes which which would have to be uh, done or which uh, businesses may keep in mind one there would be much greater opportunity for the businesses where the goods and services can be delivered digitally not by human contact so how do we transform our businesses to be using more of the digital mode of producing and delivering it i think that the big business or big industry has already internalized uh, and absorbed lot of uh, um, it lot of digitization into uh, or digital technologies in their work but the small businesses and the medium businesses have done much less they are more uh, dependent on the uh, the uh, the person to person kind of production of goods and services uh the technology has also developed uh, part of that we have seen what we are doing right now also is um, an application of digital technology uh i am speaking you are recording and then it would be podcasted so the uh, one thing how do we make and incidentally digital technologies would be much cheaper than the the physical or the manual technologies so i think the businesses would need to reconfigure their entire business building in more of the digital content that is one thing second i think you uh, uh, would need to keep in mind that there is a risk of corona or covid 19 remaining in in our midst and therefore the way of conducting businesses would have to factor in this and design the systems uh, to keep that risk to the minimum the whole talk about uh, so called safe distancing or physical distancing or social distancing uh, is actually uh, has lot of implications for for the businesses so if you are in, in a transportation business you would have to redesign uh, the architecture or the setup of a bus or taxi or the car or auto uh, uh, in such a way that the contact between the passengers and the drivers and others doesn't take place in that fashion if you are in travel business for that matter or you are in entertainment business or in sports business i think it will have to be seen that the games take place or the entertainment takes place uh, if it required in the stadiums and others but it is delivered the experience is delivered more digitally fortunately again uh, the viewing technologies uh, are improving so fast that your spectators can be far away from you and yet you can probably create the atmosphere there so the these illustration and this is also applicable for the for the good side so traditional system of delivery uh, of um, essentials and other things where are retailers and their large businesses two crores plus retailing businesses in the country uh, they have been doing the business in a certain way the customers come sit nearby uh, i think that again will have to undergo a lot of changes so the second point which to my mind is that we'll have to factor in the corona risk and uh, uh, that uh, and readjust reconfigure the architecture system of delivery of the businesses and the third thing which i would say uh, that uh, uh, the uh, way of 
doing business uh, you uh, might get not affected uh, so uh, the 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 capital requirement for creating a physical space might undergo change the way of availing loans and others from the formal system might undergo change was again uh, utilizing the uh, digital economy as well as the safe distancing kind of thing it should be promoted that you can so you have peer to peer lending kind of system you can create platforms going forward where loans and the money is delivered payments are made more you can think of digital money going forward rather than rupee currency so i think lot of businesses uh, reconfiguration will have to be dealt uh, to produce what is required in the post corona world and to deliver it in a way where the risk of uh, um, uh, risk of corona is minimized i think that is a uh, lot of reconfiguration and it has to be customized for each each of the business and uh, probably uh, i think one more um, the industrial economy the main uh, advantage was scale uh, the digital economy the main advantage is uh, customization you can uh, use 3d you can do other technologies to produce customized goods and customization is more suitable incidentally for the small businesses so i think how do we use these technologies to produce a customized product for consumption by the uh, the people may provide a lot of opportunity going forward so i think that's the way i see it obviously uh, every business or every person uh, or every entrepreneur would have to look at it in their context but if they keep these things in mind i think probably uh, in the post corona world they would uh, i am quite uh, confident that sooner than later maybe in a year or so or um, two years we will be back to our uh, normal level of gdp will produce much more we will produce differently that's a i don't think we should be uh, uh, too much worried about that it is our innovativeness it's our ability to marshal the technology for um, uh, for generating goods and services for the production i think if we do that we will be better off uh, uh, going forward thank you great great so i think uh, yeah, my my take away from that i think is uh, you know we need to i think have a lot more optimism around the post corona world uh, you know it will definitely require changes right. uh, but it will also throw up opportunities you know for i think everyone to capitalize on right um um you know with that uh, thank you so much mr gar for taking out time uh, this conversation has been super insightful um you know and i'm i'm sure our listeners would also uh, you know would have taken away personally something from this conversation uh, thanks again for taking out time thank you dushyant i enjoyed every bit of it i hope it was it was it turns out to be something of a use to your listeners thank you and all the best thank you so much sir ankur back to you Thank you, Dushant. This was a really interesting discussion. I think my couple of takeaways: um, one, while the stimulus package seems robust on the face of it, fiscal component is only about 0.7 percent of GDP, as Mr. Garg was pointing out. Uh, some hundred million job losses, 10 percent of the GDP lost. Um, more needs to be done on that front in terms of support to the MSMEs and to the daily wagers. I think the other was some other. uh good and long overdue elements in the reform package i think that will certainly now see acceleration privatization of the psus evolution of uh, the essential commodities act uh, but it won't be easy in the current environment i think it all boils down to implementation agreed ankur um i think especially the liquidity problem isn't the one that can be solved in the short term as there are longer running issues which have been made worse by the lockdown In addition to an immediate stimulus to get businesses running again, I am hoping we see some structural reforms as well in the near future. Couldn't agree more. No easy answers, of course. Balancing economic priorities in the midst of an unprecedented health crisis is a tough act. Well, uh, that's all from us here on this episode of Cashflow Unscripted. Thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, do consider subscribing to us on Spotify or Apple. 
or we can gently remind you when our next episode is out. You can also write to me at ankur at cashflow.io. That's A-N-K-U-R at the rate C-A-S-H-F-L-O dot I-O. If you want us to add to you, add us to your mailing list and if you're interested in joining us on the show, um, do let us know. Drop in a line. Thank you so much. Stay safe and have a good day.